Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Another awesome episode of the YVR Remo Show coming your way. Today's episode is going to be a bit different than the last couple. We're going to get back to the education stuff. So we're going to talk about something that comes up for pretty much every situation that we've dealt with when it comes to home buying, whether it's investment for personal uses uh, or buying with friends or family or first-time buyer, second-time buyer. The idea of co-applicants versus or co-signing versus guarantors is a big one, and it's one that's often confused. So we're going to break all that down, what exactly it means and more. But before we get there, we're going to talk a little bit about the most recent five-star review on the show. Uh, thanks to the last couple guys. I hope you received your mugs and you're loving them so far. Uh, the most recent five-star review comes from Karmvir17. It says, I always look forward to new episodes of the show and find myself always learning something new every time. Very helpful to me as an investor and real estate agent in the Lower Mainline. Thanks, Karm Sandu. Really appreciate it. Good man. Uh, we have a mug coming your way. If you send us a message and let us know your address. Guys, as always, if you want to version of this beautiful Thrive Bug with some delicious coffee. Make sure to leave that five-star review and let us know who you are. We've got a couple more on the go for the next few weeks and we'll keep giving away these mugs. They are awesome, by the way. Anyhow, guys, make sure to listen to the show. Let us know what you think. Subscribe and we'll talk to you soon. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. Welcome to the episode, guys. Today, we're going to focus a little bit of attention on co-signers, guarantors. But before we get into that, we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening in the market right now, at least locally near us. We work in a lot of different markets, so we're going to focus our attention on Vancouver. We're going to talk about the Fraser Valley in particular, and I think we're going to continue to, to open up episodes with a little bit of a spotlight on what's happening in those areas for the near the near term. Um, cosigners and guarantors are such a commonly misunderstood term, and I think our goal today is to really break a few of the myths between what's the difference and why lenders like them, don't like them. Uh, so what do you say, guys, we start off with a little bit of a summary of how we're feeling, how the market's going right now in the Vancouver area. It's hot. It's still hot. Eh? It's still pretty busy. Yeah. I mean, internally, I think this is uh, a record month for us for closings for our clients, um, which tells you something about the market. Uh, if you, I'm just looking at a stat here, September of 2020 compared to September of 2019, there was actually a 56% increase in sold properties in Vancouver, which is dramatic. Absolutely insane. And I mean, usually September, things start to kind of tail off. Kids are going back to school. So it's not typically this busy, which is interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, I find it interesting because our spring market essentially happened in the summer. And we're just, uh, I, it feels like we're just feeling the spillover of that, but it's, it's a bit longer than your typical spring market in length. Yeah. It, that's interesting. It's a record month. So that's huge. September was actually a record month in Vancouver. Uh, you know, obviously again, we've talked about the fact that it's a late spring market, but the thing that's interesting about the typical spring market is that again, usually heading into summer, kids go on school. We think, see things slow down the temperature of what people are looking for. They come back in August and we're going back to school we've seen maybe a little bit of a slowdown compared to say the beginning of September, but not dramatically. So we're still wondering if we're going to see that, that pocket where things 
things change. Um, what about the types of properties that we're seeing sell in the Vancouver area? Well, that that's super interesting. And what really jumped out at me is days on market. It actually seems a little bit longer than I would have expected with being such a busy market. We're seeing uh, the average detached home is on market for an average of 40 days. And I would have expected that to be quicker. That's just my opinion, just based on how hot it's been. I think maybe just because Vancouver is obviously very expensive for detached homes, there's not as uh, there's not as bit of big of a pool of buyers that can qualify or, or afford a detached home. So I'm just looking at the sales to active listings ratio, and townhomes were 36 percent, condos are 24 percent, and detached homes are 28 percent. So townhomes are actually the busiest market in Vancouver uh, for September, anyways. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it makes a lot of sense. If you look at townhomes in particular in Vancouver, there aren't as many like relative to active listings they are literally less than 50% townhomes compared to detached houses. And and the, the gap between a, a condo and a townhouse is so close. Yeah. So I think a lot of people actually, and, and from what the feedback that I hear from families who live in condos in Vancouver is they actually want to stay quite frequently and try to find a townhome, but they can't do it, which is what obviously puts pressure in the, uh, in the Fraser Valley market. Speaking of the Fraser Valley market, let's shift over there a little bit and talk about what's happened so obviously again uh trends continue historic levels the vancouver market has spilled into the fraser valley and i think we've uh, we've talked about this a few times already but the shift from people coming over the bridge they're coming from vancouver they're coming from burnaby they're coming from all different areas and they're spilling out to the fraser valley which is again why we're seeing the number one price band in terms of increase being the detached home yeah so, and just to touch on how busy it's been for September, it's 66% increase year over year, which is a full 10% more than what we had in Vancouver. So clearly Fraser Valley is is hotter as of right now. Oh yeah, just flying. Uh, interestingly enough, looking down the, the pipe there, townhomes have, have increased, although not as much, a 4% increase compared to an 8.7 yeah. for detached. And condos are following right behind that. Actually, condos are still doing well um, year over year. Uh, interestingly, what what I noticed on this was that the the price point for condos relative to the month before was a slight decrease, but much more than the year before. So I mean, people are moving up; they're they're definitely moving into larger properties. Uh, there's there's certainly, however, based on what what I've seen in the marketplace, and you guys can agree or disagree. There's an opportunity for the entry level individual right now to get into the condo market, especially in the Fraser Valley. What are your thoughts on that, guys? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there's a there's a good market for that. And I mean, the whole upsizing piece, right? People that have been in the strata market for a little bit and they're trying to get that bigger yard, the bigger property. Uh, a lot of the people that we're helping get into these single family homes uh, have basement suites, right? And I know that we labor that that point a lot, but the rental demand is so high and rental prices are so high that it can really, you know, it can cover probably close to half of your mortgage pain if you, if you do it properly. Yeah. Another indicator that it's clearly hotter here in the Fraser Valley 28 days for a single family home to sell. So 28 days on market, 25 days on market for a townhouse and 35 for an apartment. So that's, that's quick.
That is quick. Absolutely. And it makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Obviously, uh, everybody's looking for more space. Um, you know, again, uh, coming from Vancouver, where a townhome is going to cost a million dollars to find a detached home in the Fraser Valley at a million dollars with a place for your kids to run around and potentially put a gym in your house or whatever. It makes a huge difference in your quality of life for a lot of people. Uh, we did actually do an episode on this, and I think we're going to come back around this in more detail uh, for future episodes because we had so much feedback from it was uh, a conversation about how to use the rental income and how to redistribute your mortgage and uh, re, re basically prepare it in such a way that you can make the move from a condo or a townhome into a detached home without spending more money every month. That's something that we've seen a lot of people do and make that move up and use that rental income to cover their expense. And it's a smart play to Derek's point right now. Uh, you know, rental, I mean, I guess they talked about rental rates going down, but I haven't seen it. I mean, in my unit, I just uh, relisted it or released it at a, at a, at a higher number as well. Um, so with that being said, that's kind of our recap of what's happening in the market today. Let's get on to the main event, uh, co-signers and guarantors. If you're honestly, like if, if you're any kind of buyer, if you're in the market in any way, like this is a big thing to know. And this is probably uh, one of the most, I say this, I think we say this all the time, one of the most misunderstood things. Okay. So there's a lot of things that are misunderstood in financing, but uh, generally speaking, I, I always get these two mixed up. And in particular, I hear it from uh, older folks, uh, maybe the parents who are trying to help out their kids in this situation. So let's get into it, guys. Where do you want to start? Let's get into the differences. Like, what is the difference of being a co-signer to a guarantor? In, in a lot of ways, it, it, it's very similar, but in a lot of ways, it, it, it can be quite different. So why don't we just start breaking it down? Yep, absolutely. Derek, take it away. Yeah, so a co-signer is typically somebody that's getting involved. And again, there's a lot of case-by-case -case scenarios, but a co-signer is usually required uh, when it's an income issue. If you're not actually qualifying for the size of the mortgage that you're applying for, we have to involve a co-signer and we're using their income to help you qualify. And when that's the case, when we're using income, you're almost always guaranteed to go on title, which would be referenced as a co-signer essentially. Um, so they're registered on title. They're equally liable for that mortgage payment. And uh, I mean, obviously most of the time they're not actually making the mortgage payment, but they're just as liable for that mortgage payment. They're signing all the mortgage documentation. They're basically a co-owner with you while they're involved. So, so yeah, key difference there is a co-signer is on title and a guarantor would not be on title. But from the standpoint of liability, you would be just as liable in regards to what you're borrowing. As a co-signer. Yeah. Yeah. So as a co-signer, you're basically putting yourself in a position where, and, and just to be clear, lenders prefer co-signers over guarantors, uh, specifically, well, for a lot of reasons, but uh, quite honestly, a lot of the circumstances where we actually see someone that's going to come on title is, is typically income-based these days. It's not necessarily just credit sometimes, but it's usually income. And in order to use the income from an applicant, a lender will almost always ask for a co-signer. And that's where one of the key differences moves into if we're talking about guarantor. Guarantors are usually coming on to help for credit reasons. And that's where you see parents helping, you know, their, their maybe um, younger kids uh, who are getting in and they haven't built up the credit. That sort of situation is, is the primary um, time we see that. Yeah, exactly. But from a standpoint of credit liability, it, you would be just as liable, whether you're a guarantor or a cosigner, it's if there's going to be arrears or missed payments, that person as a guarantor is going to have their credit affected the exact same way as a cosigner. So no difference there. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So some negative impacts of co-signing or being a guarantor on a mortgage is if the person that you're helping out, typically a family member was to default, like Dean mentioned, you're going to have like your, your credit is going to go down. You're going to have missed mortgage payments registered, which is something that can destroy someone's credit for a long period of time. Um, on top of that, it's a, could be a qualification issue as well, right? Like if you personally, if you were the co-signer or the guarantor and you had plans on moving and upsizing or further borrowing, that mortgage being registered on your credit bureau can actually impact how much you're going to qualify for. So there's a lot of planning that has to take place before you commit to doing that. Well, it's funny. A lot of a lot of people that are looking to co-sign or be a guarantor for, for their child, for example, a lot of them lean towards wanting to be a guarantor. Uh, but one thing to note, when you are on title, if there are problems and you do need to step in, being on title is going to be of value to you because you do have control. You do have the ability to jump in there and, and make decisions. And that could be selling the property. If you're not on title, you have no control on how the outcome plays if, you're, if your child or whoever is getting into trouble. So I always lean towards the side of being on title keeps you in control and keeps the decision making equal. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. So let's talk about uh, just generally speaking, uh, situations that we see co-signers and guarantors come on the title and, and some common myths there. I think uh, first and foremost, I, I often hear uh, that the uh, uh, the co-signer, or sorry, there's a certain number of co-signers that can come on an application. And that is true, but there are some slight exceptions there. And I think it comes down to whether or not this person's bringing uh, credit or income to an application or are not bringing credit or income to an application. So the primary rule of thumb is four people on an application is typically what a lender is looking for. Now it's, but what that is, is it's four income earning applicants can go on title and on the mortgage application. So there's four people who can earn an income that can contribute to the application for your standard mortgage. But I mean, we just had this recently. What if someone wants to come on uh, the application and maybe just be there? What are your, what is your feedback guys? And what have you seen there? With no income, is that what you mean? Yeah, so like typically what you're looking for in a co-signer is, like you said, we're, we're looking to drive income, right? So I hear a lot of times people say, well, my parents have a clear title home. They'll be a perfect co-signer. A clear title home really doesn't do anything in an application if that person doesn't have income. A lot of times parents might be on pension and people think, oh, my parents don't have enough income. They won't actually support it. But if those parents have, say, $50,000 of pension income, but they have no debt, they're actually a pretty good co-signer, right? Compared to somebody that might make $200,000 a year, but they have a big mortgage payment, they have a vehicle payment, they have credit card debt, right? So it's really, really looking at the income that that co-signer is uh, producing and how much income we can extract for your application. Yeah. So the flip side to that, a co-signer can actually be a detriment in some cases. We've seen co-signers come onto an application and the, qu the qualification actually decreases because of all these other liabilities that that person is bringing onto the file. So an important thing to pull from that, guys, if you're listening to this right now, is that just having someone as a potential applicant with you, or a co-signer or a co-guarantor for this matter, but we're mostly talking about co-signers here, uh, is not necessarily beneficial. And I often hear, oh, well, if I can't qualify with my accepted offer when I, you know, I find it, I'll just add my dad or my mom or my grandpa or my grandma. And I can't even count how many times I've actually come across this where 
where we've actually seen that that co-applicant, like to your point, is a detriment to the file. Uh, just because someone has a million dollar home, uh, they may not have any credit or they may not have any income. And if that's the case, this is not beneficial to your file. So it's very important to know in advance if you're going to add the co-applicant. And that's why so often we actually recommend our clients, you know, at, at the beginning, add that person, or at least generally speaking, have a very clear picture as to what their financial situation is. You need to know what their situation is before you go forward. For sure. And I think a lot of times people don't actually think or they don't want to ask their parents to help out, whereas I think a lot of families are willing if they're able. Um, so a lot of times what we'll do is we'll go through a pre-approval and maybe it's not quite what that person wanted to see or, or wanted to achieve. So that's our next conversation is how can we get you there? And oftentimes we'll bring up co-signing. And if that triggers, you know, some interest, we'll typically have a conversation with the parents or whoever it might be. Speaking of that, Typically, a co-signer has to be immediate family. So like it has to be a parent or it has to be a brother or sister. There are exceptions where it might be an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent, but its story has to make sense. They typically, when I say they, the banks, typically don't want you to get your buddy to co-sign for you. They typically won't allow that. Uh, it's just a little bit too convoluted. Yeah, and actually, we, we want to discern, when you, good point that you brought that up. So that is different from a co-applicant. Um, so just if anybody's listening to this there, we're, we're talking about a co-signer per se. They may or may not be living in the home with you. Typically, they're not actually living in the home with you. A co-applicant is someone who's actually purchasing this home to, to own it with you. Now, that could be either for investment purposes or for yourself. Co-applicants, it can be your you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, your friends, that sort of situation. And, and just to sidestep that, you can have up to four co-applicants, again, who own this property and live in this property together. You don't need to be uh, related in that circumstance as well. And we can use all of your income. In fact, I think there was a deal one of you guys did recently where we had up to five or six people on the documents. Yeah, that was yeah. my file. Yes. What was the situation there? That one. All, yeah, so that was an interesting one. We had five family members buying a home to live in and they were all going to live in their, that home together. If I can recall in that situation, you said that only we can only use four uh, sources of income, right? Exactly. So we were able to have five, uh, as many as six people on the actual mortgage document, but we could only use four sources of income to qualify for the mortgage. So we, we had to pick the four best applicants that had the most income and we used those uh, to qualify for the mortgage. Yeah, that's an important point to know. I think a lot of people have asked me in the past, like, can I have five or six or seven people? What, you know, what if we all make $40,000 and we want to buy a $3 million property? What would that look like? You know, and, and maybe not the case. Believe it or not, I've had questions like that, of course. Um, creative ideas, right? But uh, yeah, it does come down typically to four sources of income. Um, so one common question with adding a cosigner is, can I remove them? And uh, that comes up all the time. Like, when can I remove this person? Because if it is income, I, they're getting a raise or they're going to make a, you know, a work towards making more income so they can remove that person. It is quite simple. If you, As long as you qualify to remove them, we can do that. Yeah, so that's a big part of what we help with is figuring out that plan, right? And maybe it is if you're self-employed, restructuring your income over a course of one year or two years, right? And then your co-signer knows when they think that they're going to be able to be removed. Like you, typically a co-signer wants to know what the plan is before they'll sign on your loan. Or if it's credit, maybe you have to work on credit for six to eight months and then you requalify and remove them. So in that process of removing a co-signer, they're actually technically on title. So you do have to see a lawyer or notary to have them removed from title. So there'll be, you know, a small charge to do so probably 500 bucks, yep. um, a guarantor because they're not on title. You're actually just going back and communicating with the lender and you, they sign off to be removed from the loan. So there's no lawyer involved in that. 
Yeah. One thing to note, and I think I hammered this at the beginning, is is there's a lot of lenders who don't allow guarantors anymore. Like that's that's something that they're typically uh, it, it, there are a few lenders who do allow that, but again, uh, many don't. They just don't uh, yeah. want it. They want to see that someone on title, um, which is pretty key. So I think that's. Uh, I mean, I, I think the next step from there would be talking about, and we'll we'll have actually an episode about this, which is things like joint venture agreements, and maybe more. We'll go deeper in regards to the co-applicant. So having four separate people buying a home together for primary purposes or as an investment purpose. I think we've hit everything that we need to as it pertains to uh, applicant or signer versus guarantor. Anything else that you guys want to end off there? No. No, I think we touched on it. We touched on the risks. We touched on who can sign, why use a co-signer. So I think we addressed it all there. Awesome. Well, uh, another good episode here, guys. We'll leave you off with uh, just a few key things. First and foremost, if you uh, do need any assistance with your mortgage financing, our team here is here to support you, whether you're local or uh, really all over the place. I mean, we can help you digitally. No issue there. Um, Over and above that, don't forget to leave us a review. Rate it five stars if you can, if you like it. And send us that picture. Send us that feedback so we can send you one of these awesome mugs and some coffee. And we really appreciate your support. So thanks for listening again today. Have an amazing week.